Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. He talked about how everyone has a game plan of some sort for their life. And he talked about how, how Satan has a game plan, how God has a game plan, how you have a game plan or how you need to have a game plan for your life. And when it comes to those of us who are following Christ, the scripture is it's pretty clear about what our plan needs to be. I was fortunate enough for about six or seven years, I can't remember how long, but for about six or seven years to be a high school soccer coach out at Valley High School. And I really enjoyed it. And I, I learned something really quick. I learned that that the idea, the game plan being score more goals than the other team isn't really a game plan. It's just not a game plan. As a matter of fact, see this, this group of, of, of people that I, that I had the privilege of coaching, uh, they ended up doing something that's never been done from southern Ohio all the way up to Columbus. What they did is they, they went to the final four uh, in the state championship. And it was really exciting. We had, we had good athletes. We, we, we had everything in place. And it, and it was so great. But before it was great, it was awful. And it wasn't awful because of the players. It was awful because of their coach. It was awful because their coach... His only game plan when he would put the guys out on the field is he would simply say, just go score more points. I didn't know how to get them to score more points. I didn't know what they were supposed to do as individuals. I just knew if we scored more than they did, we win. At the end of the first season, we were a solid 0 and 15. Score more points than the other team is not a game plan, coach. And I learned over the next couple of years, because it took me some time, but, but I learned that in order to, to be able to have success in, in the sporting area, well, certainly you have to have the athletes, but the coach has to have a concept that he can communicate to his players. He has to see the field. He has to not only see it, he has to understand the role of each player. He has to understand what they are supposed to do and then be able to communicate that to the players. He has to understand not only his players and be able to see the field, but he has to, he has to be able to understand his opponent. He has to understand the plan, the game plan of the opponent so that he can make the necessary adjustments to be able to defeat the opponent. You have to do that. If you don't do that as a coach, then you're, you're actually playing on luck. And, and, and that's all that you're hoping for. And so as, as I got to see the picture better, as I got to understand the roles of each player, it made it made it a lot easier to communicate to the players what the, not just what the goal is to win the game, 
but how we can actually go about it. How we can actually go about it. And you guys in the room who have spent time coaching, you understand that. It's not just throwing bodies out in the field and saying, here, go play and, and, and score more points. There's, there's planning, there's strategy. And so when it comes to you and it comes to me as a follower of Jesus, you and I have been given a mission by God that we are to accomplish. We have a game plan for our lives. You may have an occupational game plan for your life. You may have a financial game plan for your life. But I'm telling you, the scripture has God's game plan for your life. And if you're not looking for it, it's easy to miss it. And if you're not looking for it, it's easy to dismiss it. It's easy to pawn it off on someone else. But that's not what the scripture does here. The scripture is going to be very clear about what your mission should be as a follower of Jesus. And your mission is the same as mine. Mine is the same as yours. If you will, look at your sermon outlines. I have a quote there that I'd like to read to you to start all of this out. William Lane Craig writes, If there is no God, then man and the universe are doomed. Like prisoners condemned to death, we await our unavoidable execution. There is no God, and then there is no immortality. And what is the consequence of this? It means that life itself is absurd. It means that the life we have is without ultimate significance, value, or purpose. So if there is no God, then, then what we're doing here, this is just playing games. If there is no God. Because if there is no God, then it seems to me that our lives would be centered really around myself... My life would be centered around myself. And as such, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care about you. I don't care how what I do affects you. I just do what I want to do if there is no God. But since there is a God, then how we live matters. And our mission is clear. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's been interesting over the past couple of months, actually. I've had this conversation with a few people. I, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm on the team, but I don't understand my role. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Where, where do I fit? And a lot of times in trying to answer that question, we, we find ourselves pushing ourselves into situations where we really don't fit there because God hasn't prepared us for that yet. So where do, I, where do I fit into God's plan? And what is that for my life in particular? All right, before we get into that common mission that we have, I want to pose four questions that I have in your outline. All right, so I'd like for you to look at this. The first question is this. What will I center my life around? What will I center my life around? I want you to look on the screen with me or turn in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 22, and look at verse 37. This is right after a teacher of the law said to Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And here's the response Jesus gave. It should be a familiar response to you by now. 
Jesus replied in verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything, Jesus says, hangs on those two commandments. As a matter of fact, I'll just do this in my Bible. You can do this sometime. But right here in my hand, right here, this is the Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. And what Jesus is saying to this teacher of all of this law, what do you have to do to have eternal life? You have to do two things. You have to love God. You have to love people. On those two things hang all of this. All of it. See, you're, you're already an Old Testament scholar and you don't even know it. When someone comes to you and says, oh, you know, the Old Testament is so confusing and uses all these words. And, and you go, oh, it's not confusing at all. I got it. I, I, know, I know the Old Testament by heart. You do? Can you recite it? Absolutely. Love God, love people. Everything hangs right there. Everything. You and I were created by God to center our lives around Him. That's why we were created. If you, if you have a struggle going on in your life and, and you are so disillusioned with why you're even here, uh, wh- why you're even alive, why would God want anything to do with me? It's because you have to get yourself to the place where you understand, wait, I need to understand I was designed to center my life around God. You know, seriously, some of the greatest frustrations I've ever had is when I try to center my life around me. And I try to find fulfillment in the things that I can come up with. But we will never find genuine fulfillment in that. We might find temporary fulfillment. We might find temporary enjoyment. But genuine fulfillment comes when we center our lives around God. Second thing. Second question. Have I determined who I want to be, not just what I want to do? This is huge. I mean, in, in raising my children, I remember, I remember asking, and, and, and I've asked kids all through the years when I was student pastor, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? Where, where do you want to go? What do you want to be? But you know what I never asked them? Who do you want to be? Who are you? Not, not your name, not the statistics about you, but who are you in relationship to being a child of God? It's over in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. This is really kind of interesting. God had called and chosen the first king for Israel. The first king was King Saul. Saul initially was faithful to God, and then he abandoned God for whatever reason. And when he abandoned God, God calls him out through the prophet Samuel. He calls him out, and he lets him know that his reign is coming to an end. Now look at this verse. But now, Saul, your kingdom will not endure. 
Look at this. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, the reason I point this verse out is simply this. If you ask me, Rick, who are you? Not what do you do. Who are you? The, I, I want to... I'm more than, oh, I'm the pastor at Christ Community Church. I'm more than that. I'm I'm one of the guys who who teaches on the stage. I'm, I'm more than that. Who I am, who I desire to be, this is who I desire to be. I don't perfectly accomplish this. Oh, I wish I did. I desire to be a man who follows hard after God. And not only do I desire to be a man, men in this room, your, your desire as a follower of Jesus should be, I desire it with all my heart to be a man who follows after God's heart. Women, your desire should be to be a woman who follows hard after God and to be known as a woman who follows after his heart. But you and I both know that we don't do this perfectly. We fail often. But the wonderful news is God doesn't throw in the towel on us. The wonderful news is that he continues to extend his grace and mercy to us and work in us. So have you determined who you want to be? Not just what you want to do. Who you want to be. By the way, when when people first come to Christ, they're so excited. They're so excited about being forgiven, being clean. And then I want you to catch this. So often in that enthusiasm is, I'm so excited about this. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Well, I want you to understand something about what you do in the body of Christ. This is real important. You get this. It is, I want to say a rare occasion. I want to say it's a never occasion. It's a never occasion where God... God all of a sudden saves a person and then goes, okay, now this is exactly what I want you to do. As a matter of fact, when you look at the Scripture, in most every instance, God takes people and He looks at them and He says, now, wait. Wait. And see, you don't like that. I don't like it either. Cindy and I were going through McDonald's and we were getting some cookies and, and we, we ordered cookies, and they were one short of the... And the reason they were one short is because the rest were in the oven. And so they said, well, pull up. I don't want to pull up. I, 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 you know, pull up, we'll bring it out to you. I don't want to pull up. I just give it to me now. Well, we're like that with God a lot, but God is a lot like this. God is a lot like, okay, I love you. I've placed my spirit in you. Now Wait. Because I'm going to work on you. I'm going to take my sandpaper to you. And we're going to start working on all these rough edges. And it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be pleasant. As a matter of fact, it's probably something you didn't expect. But I love you enough to save you now. But I love you so much that I'm not willing to leave you in the condition I found you. And so he's going to work on you. And he's going to work hard on you. And the reason he's working is so that the what you do in the body will come about. Listen, Moses, Moses, he waited 40 years. 
40 years. Do you know how old he was when he started leading the people of Israel out of Egypt? He was 80. He wasn't a college graduate. He didn't just get his degree. He was 80 years old. And God said, okay, now you're ready. And Moses is going, what? Uh, wait, I want out of this. And then there's Joshua, who was Moses' assistant, who for the next 40 years hung out with Moses and followed him. He, God was using that time with Joshua, wait as I prepare you because the day is going to come when you're going to be leading and so, so when God, when it, when it comes to the what am I supposed to do, I want to say the first thing you're supposed to do is wait. You're supposed to wait and you're supposed to, you're supposed to be patient with God as He works on you. As we go on, uh, look, at, look at this next question that I have in your outline. Have I determined who I want to be, not just what I want to do? Meaning, I want to be someone who's chasing after God's heart. How do I do that? How do I become that person? If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, that we could spend a long time just on how do I become that person. But in Ephesians chapter 4, look at this verse, beginning in verse 22. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. So how do I do this? How do I become a person who is a person who is following hard after God's heart? Paul writes to that church in Ephesus, and he says, here's what you do. You take off the old stuff. When Christ comes in you and places His Spirit in you, you remove the old stuff. You put on the new stuff. You take off the unrighteousness. You put on God's righteousness. You take off your, your battle and your desire for sin, and you put on holiness. Holiness meaning realizing that you are different. That when Christ Comes, comes to you and He forgives you and His Spirit dwells in you, He makes you different, which means He makes you holy, set apart, someone that you weren't until He came in. And that's how we become people who are chasing after God's heart, getting rid of the old, putting on the new. All right, and then the other question I have for you. <clears throat> what will I invest my life in besides me? What will I invest my life in besides myself? This question runs totally against everything in our culture. Totally against it. I mean, as soon as, as, soon as kids are born, we are, we are working with them. They're growing. We want them to be able to do things not just for themselves, but we want them to have goals and attain those goals because it's what they want and we want them to be happy and we want us to be happy. And, and it seems like the things that we want are all about us. But I want to give you something to consider. Peter writes about this in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Just, just listen to what he writes here. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, look at this. 
Love each other deeply. Now, I want to hang on this verse just for a second, Chris. Don't change this verse. So here's, here's the first thing. What do I want to invest myself in? I want to invest myself in loving each other deeply. Why? Look at this. I want you to follow me here. This is so big. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Do you get that? Love, loving deeply, covers a multitude of sins. I want you to notice what it doesn't say. Love broadcasts a multitude of sins. It doesn't say that. And yet so often when, when, we, when we look into the lives of other people <clears throat> and we see things that really disturb us about someone else, rather than deeply loving that person and realizing that that person has received the grace of Jesus in the same way that you have received it, it, it seems like it becomes an easy thing to, to want to broadcast rather than just love and celebrate the fact that the reason we're sitting here this morning as, as Christians is because we have a God who should have thrown in the towel on us because we have rebelled against Him, but instead loved us so deeply that He forgave us. And you're sitting here this morning, and I'm standing here this morning as a forgiven sinner. And so my responsibility and your responsibility then, what I need to be doing is I need to view you in the same way that you view yourself as a forgiven person in a right relationship with God, not as a perfect person, but as a forgiven person in a right relationship with God. That's huge. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its many forms or various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. As Peter writes. Now, I, I, this will... This is probably going to be very hard for you to understand about me, but this is it. What I do in serving Christ, I know who I am in Christ, and I know who I desire to be in Christ, even though I don't do that perfectly. And I know that He has, he has gifted me to be able to teach His Word and to pastor, but here's a Here's something maybe you don't know about me. I didn't want to do this. This, in high school, this was not Rick Clark's plan for Rick Clark's life. See, I, I had a small group of friends back at the beach. Small group of friends. I enjoyed peace and quiet. I enjoyed little turmoil. Loved to go surf. Went and did my job, 
When I graduated high school, my plans were that I was going to Old Dominion University there in Virginia, I mean, there in Norfolk, Virginia. And I was going to uh, be an architect. It's what I wanted to do. I'd taken four years of that in, in high school, and it's, it's what I wanted to do. The idea of getting up in front of a bunch of people and talking, you got to be kidding me. That was not on my radar. It was not in my desire. Even though I told you the last time, my mom was looking at me going, you're going to be the next Billy Graham. And I'm going, yeah, right. I, don't know. I have zero desire to, to stand in front of large, large groups of people. And so for me to be able to do what I do, God had to do what only he could do to prepare me to do this. And so as you are, as you are looking for, for, for those opportunities, you've got to understand that God may be taking you a direction you necessarily weren't wanting to go. Because it's, it's about Him. It's not about what you want to do with your life. It's about what He's going to do with your life. And that's how a beach bum got sent to Portsmouth, Ohio. Um, because this... I mean, I, I could spend a long time telling you the whole story. And it is it's just a picture of God directing. And here's what I know. There is absolutely nothing special about me. Nothing. Nothing. I am just, just like you. And yet God took me and he wove things around to where they are the way they are today. And, and it's wonderful. But it wasn't in my plan. Because my plan was about me. It wasn't about him. Okay. Now here's where I want to go. And, and this is going to get really cool here in just a second. We have a common mission Every one of us have something in common. It's go, you're going to find this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. So let's throw that verse up. Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is one of the most quoted passages of Scripture in churches today. Jesus, before he leaves the earth and ascends into heaven, he is there on the mountain with his disciples, and he looks at his disciples and he gives them their mission. And the mission he gives them is the mission that he gives his church. The mission that he gives them is the mission that he gives you as his follower. And here it is. Number one, go. And as you're going, I need you to write that in your bulletin if you're taking notes. Go and as you're going. Okay, now, now this is Jesus saying... We're not going to be destination-oriented. Go, and I want you to go over there. He's saying, I want you just to simply start walking. And as you start walking, this is what I want you to do. Go, and as you're going. Go, and whatever you're doing. This is what you are to do as a follower of Jesus. And this is what Rick Clark is to do as a follower of Jesus. Our common mission. Number one, make disciples. 
Make disciples. Well, how do we do that? How do you make disciples? You have to tell them about Jesus. Go, and as you're going, tell people about Jesus. Yeah, but Rick, that, that's easier for you, because, but, but it's not so easy for me. I, I don't know all of the Bible. I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus as if I do, but um, there's, it, it's too much for me to comprehend. I just, I just don't know what to say. Yeah, you do. You know what to say. I think it was just three or four weeks ago, Matt was preaching about the blind guy who was healed. And after he was healed, all the Pharisees came to, came to this blind guy and they said, Tell us, is he the Messiah or not? Come on, tell us. We want to know. You tell us. And the blind guy said this, Whether he's the Messiah, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. That's what I know. See, what you know is that when you came to faith in Christ, once you were lost, now you're found. Once you were living in sin, now you're living in grace. The favor and love of God that you didn't deserve. You have a story to tell about Jesus. So tell people about Jesus. Go, and as you're going, make disciples. Second thing, baptize. Baptize them. Baptism is simply this, a public identification with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I I want you to understand this, because I, I was made aware of this about two or three months ago in an article I was reading. It I'd really never thought of it. But here in, at Christ Community Church, here in this building, there is safety in baptism, you know? There is celebration in baptism. And it's a wonderful thing. As people declare their allegiance to Jesus and say, Oh yes, He is the Messiah. I am a sinner. He has forgiven me. And I'm going under the waters of baptism to proclaim that I believe He He lived, he died, and was buried for my sin. And I'm coming up a new creation in Christ. I believe that. I proclaim that right now. I'm his follower. And we we applaud and we celebrate. And that's the right thing to do. But it was about six weeks ago that I came across that article. However long ago it was, I came across that one article. and, And it was about a guy who had just been baptized in Syria. In a place where it's not safe. In a place where if you wear the name Christian, you have a target on your back. And so, I'm reading this article about a guy who goes down under the waters of baptism, publicly identifying with Jesus, publicly doing it, so that all will know he's a follower of Christ, but yet coming up, knowing that his life is now Marked. Marked for certain death because he's a follower of Jesus. Baptism is not a spiritual or religious exercise. It is a proclamation, and it's a strong proclamation. As a matter of fact, this past Thursday, J.R. Penix was baptized here at the church. Some people gathered And there was a baptism that took place right here. And I asked Chris if he would be so kind to come to the baptism. 
um, and, and to video it so that it could be played for the body to see because those things are worth celebrating. Those things are worth acknowledging that someone has taken a step to say, I am in with Christ. He is my God and he's my king. And so uh, if you'll play that right now, uh, watch this on the video. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Sit down there. Paul, I'm asking you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he lived, died, rose again to save us from our sins, that he'll return one day? I do. And that you, as you were a professing Christian, that you identify with him and will follow him and serve him? Yes, I do. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go back real quick. There we go. You got it, buddy. You got her. Welcome to family, brother. Way to go. Yeah. You are proud of Ashley, come on up here. You don't know Jr. Some of you don't. He's a Saturday worshiper. He worships on the true Sabbath. But yeah, that's, so. And, and Cindy, if you'll come up, so so you can help out just a little bit. Ashley, come ahead. This is the time to do this, because this is what we have been called to do. Ashley Spencer is is a follower of Jesus, and she wanted to declare that to you all in baptism, so we're walking to the back, and we're going to have us a baptism, all righty? All right, you're good with that, aren't you? Yes, you should be. All right. Ashley, I want to ask you in front of these witnesses, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. Do you believe that when He died, He died for your sin? I do. And when He rose, He rose to give you not just eternal life in heaven, but the power to live for Him now? Then, Ashley, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There we go. All right. Yeah, that's good stuff. But it's not just good stuff, it's serious stuff. It's not just, as I said, it's not a religious motion. This is a sister stepping forward and saying, I'm in, and I'm proclaiming him. But that's, that's the thing. Our baptism isn't, it's not the end of everything. It's not, okay, I've been baptized, I'm good. Now I'm just going to go live my life and do what I want to do. No, no. You have a common mission just like I have a common mission. We're all in this together. We are those who are proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's our mission. I really think some of the trouble that we experience is related to the fact that too often we're silent. Just about Jesus. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Uh, We can... And should take our stand on on issues that affect society. 
because we live in a free country where our voice can be heard. And I think that's important. Lives were given, many lives were given for us to be able to have that freedom. And so I think those things are very important, but... The government can never change the heart of a person. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And so it is important for us, I, I believe, to, to be responsible citizens. It's important for us to stand for the things that God stands for. It's important for us to stand for the things that break God's heart. I think that's important that each of us do that. But at the same time, don't be deceived into thinking that hearts can be changed without Jesus in that heart. Mine couldn't be changed and yours couldn't either without Christ. He is the one who does that. So baptize the next thing he says is to teach them to obey all I have commanded you. Do you remember what he's taught you to obey? Love God, love people. That's it. Everything hangs on that. I'm teaching you. Jesus is saying to obey everything that I'm commanding you. Love God, love people. And then the last, and this is important. You're not going to do this alone. I'm going to be with you, Jesus said, as you do this. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So you go, and as you're going, you proclaim Jesus. As you're going, you proclaim him. I, I think that you and I have been given a platform in which to share the love of Christ. As a matter of fact, I know we've been given a platform. All of us have. You know why? Because you're a part of a family. Your family lives in a neighborhood where you live. You have a workplace. You encounter people every day where you can have influence on their lives. That's what I call your circle of influence. Your circle of influence is completely different than my circle of influence. It's completely different than the person a row behind you. We all have a circle of influence. I'll tell you what. I enjoy, every morning when I come in, I, I swing by uh, McDonald's. And Fred, I think about this often. I really think about this often. When I go by McDonald's and get me a sausage biscuit and... Uh, Doc, I'm a, I, I get a small Diet Coke. It's small, though. And I don't drink at all. Okay? Just a little. Um, when, I'm in trouble. When, when I go by there, I, I don't go through the drive-thru because I wouldn't get here till noon, and I don't like to wait. Um, so I, I get out of the truck, and I go in, and Fred Strayer is sitting there, and he's working the crossword puzzle and stuff. But, but what I've watched, it's really kind of cool. I've watched Fred uh, engage the people behind the counter who know Fred because he's there every day getting his breakfast sandwich or getting his cup of coffee and working the crossword puzzle. And I got to thinking, th there's his circle of influence. Right there is one of his circles of influence. 
He builds relationships with people, people that he first didn't even know their name. Maybe he knows their name now, but you never know the opportunities those present just by simply saying, God bless you to someone. Listen, I went to dinner with Clint Arthur one time. We went out to the Shawnee Lodge, and, and we, we sat down, and the, the uh, waitress came up, and I was just ready to do my ordering, you know, and, and Clint all of a sudden said, are you born again? And I just kind of wanted to slide under the table initially because that's, that's, not, that's not how I do that, you know. But Clint knows that every encounter he has with someone, every encounter he has with someone is an encounter for Jesus to go and as you're going, tell people. How else are they going to know? Listen, you came to faith in Christ because someone told you. The scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, how are they going to hear if you don't tell them? So that's your job. That's my job. That is our common mission together. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you to consider the fact that when Jesus saved you, He didn't save you just so that you could do church one day a week. He didn't save you just so that you could have this nice, nice, happy life. He saved you so then you in turn would go and tell. And we're getting ready to walk out these doors in just a couple minutes. As we walk out these doors, I am asking you to take the words of Jesus serious. Go. And as you're going, make disciples. Tell people. And then after you tell them and they come to faith in Him, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And don't forget, while you're doing that, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you always until the world ends. That's a pretty good promise. In Christ's community, the prayer of this staff is that you and us as a staff will become people who go, who go, and who tell. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for all that you are to us. I thank you for our salvation. I thank you that you have placed your Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you will, you will empower us by your Spirit to then go from this place and go into those areas where we have influence the people that you have placed in our lives and use each opportunity as an opportunity to proclaim you. I pray, Lord, first that you'll help us to proclaim you in our families. In our families. Lord, I ask that that you would help us to reach out to our unsaved relatives with your love. Help us to treat them in such a way that, that they see the love of Christ so that when we tell them about you, it all makes sense. I pray for our neighbors in the neighborhood where you have planted us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be very aware of the people who live outside of our walls just in a, around us. 
and that you'll help us to share your grace with them. God, I pray for the people we work with, the people we hang out with, and I'm asking you, and the next time we encounter them, that your spirit just nudges us and says, come on, tell them, tell them about me. And maybe, may we be quick to do that. And as we do, we pray that you will save people. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Thank you, Christ community, for being here this morning. God bless you as you go. Have a great week. Go and tell. See you next weekend.